As we read, we remember this is God's word. Genesis chapter 24. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from among the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening, and the, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day, and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water that the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened, before he had finished speaking, that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin, no man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, drink my Lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So it was, when the camels had finished drinking, that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels of gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, We have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. And the man 
bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth towards my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. Now Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran out to the man by the well. So it came to pass, when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, and when he heard the words of his sister Rebekah, saying, Thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man. And there he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Then the man came to the house, and he unloaded the camels, and provided straw and feed for the camels, and water to wash his feet, and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you about my errand. And he said, Speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he has become great. And he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. Now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord, before whom I walk, will send his angel, and you shall prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son, from my family and from my father's house. You will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family. For if they do not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. And then we'll skip forward from there at the end of verse 41 to verse 52. Skipping on to verse 52. And it came to pass, when Abraham's servant heard their words, that he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought out jewellery of silver, jewellery of gold, and clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning, and, sa- and he said, Send me away to my master. But her brother and mother said, Let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least ten. After that she may go. And he said to them, Do not hinder me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away, that I may go to my master. So they said, We will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent Rebekah, their sister and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of tens of thousands. And may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Then Rebekah and her maids arose and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Now Isaac came from the way of Beer Lahai Roy, 
for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel, for she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into her, his mother's Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Amen. We do thank God that he blesses us with every word that proceeds from his mouth. We're going to think about this chapter of the Bible together, but before we do so, let's ask for God's help in prayer. Let's pray. Our gracious God, you have given us all of the scriptures. They are all inspired by you. They are perfect. And we thank you that because of your decree, you have planned and purposed for each one of us to be here today to hear this very chapter and to hear it preached in our hearing. And so we pray that this word of yours would go from our heads and into our hearts, and that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would both understand and believe what it is you are teaching us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things, folks, that keeps me awake at night uh, is the thought that the church is only ever one generation away from closure or collapse. Now, perhaps I have a tendency towards catastrophe. Maybe every generation of the church in the past has felt that things are only getting worse and they've worried about the next generation of the church, but I do worry. I worry about us and, and how if we don't effectively communicate our Christian faith to the children and young people, then we'll lose them. And the church in the coming years will be depleted from what it is today. I don't know if you worry about that. Maybe it's just me, but I do worry maybe about my own sons. I worry about the boys and girls in our congregation. I, I long to see our boys and girls profess faith in Jesus to come into membership in the church, to serve within Christ's church. But I do wonder, we look at the world, don't we? And I wonder, will my grandchildren belong to the church? I worry for the future of us as a congregation. And of course, this is something that's always been a worry for God's people. There are instructions throughout the scriptures to be diligent in passing on the faith to the next generation. It's something that's really important. And there's good reason for that. The the church in all ages has been under attack. It's faced extinction in every age. Throughout the history of the people of God in the Old Testament, the, the church was often attacked from outside by invading enemies or armies. They were often put to the sword at the hands of surrounding nations. But there's also attack that comes from within the church. There were plenty of times when the people of God forgot the word of God, when it lay in the temple gathering dust and 
While God's word lay there unused and unread, the people of God drifted from the Christian faith and they assimilated with the surrounding nations. They entered into the sinfulness of the people they lived among. They forgot God. They neglected his worship. And they brought the church under the danger of dying off. And so in our day and throughout the history of the church, the church has had to face up to these difficulties, both from inside and outside. We have always faced distress and destruction. We've always only ever been one generation away from being wiped off the face of the earth. And so the passage that we have before us today, I think, speaks hope. It speaks life into our hearts. It removes from us our fear and it brings to us comfort. Because today we hear about the heir to God's promises, this seed of the covenant line of Abraham, this man Isaac, And it seems as though the line of the seed, the line through which God has promised to send a serpent crusher, it seems as though it might end with Isaac. Will the line continue? Will God provide a way for the line to go to another generation? God had promised that Abraham's descendants would be as numerous as the sand or the stars in the sky. And yet... At the start of the chapter, he has one son. Isaac stands alone as the continuation of God's church on earth. But God's word to us today is that through his providence, God provides a way. God makes a way for the continuation of his people. It's through his providential care that God provides a wife for Isaac. And what a story this is of trust and of obedience. It is a long, long passage, and and I hope you were able to concentrate through its reading. Uh, Instead of breaking it down into specific sections for us, I want us to focus on four characters in the story to help guide us through. The servant, Rebecca, Laban, and Isaac. We'll start with the servant. This man whose name we're not even given is a great example to us in the Christian faith. He's an example of trust and obedience. The story is actually, it's long, but it's quite simple. Abraham does not want his son Isaac to marry a Canaanite woman. He is aware that God's promises uh, were for the land of Canaan and, and the Canaanites are enemies, therefore, because they are living in the promised land. They occupy the promised land. And Abraham doesn't want to bring that into the line of the seed of God's people. And so while it might have been politically helpful for Abraham to marry his son off, maybe to the, the daughter of a Canaanite chief, he doesn't do that. Instead, he sends his servant to get a wife from among Abraham's own family. But I want you to notice that Isaac is not sent off to find the wife. Abraham is committed to the land of promise. He doesn't want Isaac to leave. And so he sends out his servant and he is to bring the woman back. And this servant is a man whose name we're not even given. We're not even told his name. And I think there's an important point for us to note in that. 
I am aware that we all, each one of us, feel drawn to celebrity and fame. We, we do that no less so in the church than in the world, and I am guilty too. It's easy to quote from well-known theologians or pastors. It's easy to, to use words of Spurgeon or Sinclair Ferguson in the pulpit. And when I do that, there's generally good reason for doing that. But for every one Spurgeon, there have been hundreds, if not thousands, of faithful ministers of the gospel whose names we do not know. And further than that, there are hundreds of thousands of Christian people living quiet lives of faithfulness to God and to his commands. The Reformed Church may be built upon the Bible teaching of men like Luther and Calvin, but its daily existence, its continuation, is through the quiet obedience and faith of people we've never heard of. People passing on the faith to their children. People catechizing the next generation. Family worship. Sunday school. Quiet. Simple. Obedience. This servant is not named for us. And yet isn't he this wonderful example? Not to seek fame and fortune, but to follow in a path of obedience. It's through such quiet service that God maintains and indeed builds his kingdom here on earth. Folks, I would ask you in your prayers to pray that God will use you and God will use me and many more unnamed and seemingly insignificant people that God would use us to continue his mission of his church in this quiet way, just as it was for the servant of Abraham. We see his faith throughout the story. He begins, when he gets to the well, he begins in prayer that his journey will be successful. He knows that any success he has will come from God. And this is a picture of trust. In verses 26 and verse 27, we see his trust demonstrated. It's not the faith of Abraham that he trusts in. It's not Abraham, sorry, that he he trusts in, but it's Abraham's God. He prays a specific prayer to know who he should ask to return with him. And then Rebecca does and says all the right things. And so what does the servant do immediately? He bows and he gives thanks to God. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. This is an important point. There are times in our lives when things just seem to work out for us. There really are. And often what we do in those times is we put success down to our own greatness or our own careful planning. But in all matters, especially in the church, we should know that any success belongs to God who has given it to us. One commentary I read this week put it like this. Success, which inflates the natural man, humbles the man of God. So yes, we cry out to God in our distresses. But do we praise him in our joys? Or do we put those joys down to us? This is a correction for us if we do that. When things go well for us, we ought to turn to God and thank him. 
It's really clear, I think, as we read this story that behind everything that's going on, the hand of God is at work. Just simply in his providence. The servant takes these two ingredients. He takes prayer and he takes circumstances and he mixes them together. And the result is a total dependence on God, which when he is successful, he turns back to praise. We too need to be as attentive to God at work in the world around us, which when we look for it will be clear. God is always at work. He's always at work in in both our successes and our failures. With both, we ought to come to him in praise and in worship. We'll move on to look at Rebecca. Rebecca is presented, the way she's presented in the text, is just as the perfect woman for Isaac. She's his perfect match. She's beautiful. She's a virgin. She's from the right family. And then she meets all of the tests, doesn't she? The the servant has devised these tests. But the tests aren't random. They test what Rebecca's like. They test her servitude, her humility, her kindness, her hospitality. These are all desirable qualities for the perfect bride for Isaac. Throughout the passage, we get a sense of her willingness to follow in God's plan. All along, she's willing. She helps the servants, uh, the servant and his camels. And when we consider the, the, there were 10 camels and the amount of water that they would need, it's not a small task. I, I read a commentary this week which suggested that it was probably between 80 and 100 trips back and forth to the water trough. And then, well, it comes time to leave her family. What does Rebecca say when she's asked? Those three words spoken by her in verse 58. I will go. I will. They're reminiscent of Abraham's willingness to leave behind his homeland. To go out to the place that God called him to. Rebecca did not know what lay ahead of her. But in faith she was willing to set out. Rebecca proves herself to be what the servant refers to as the woman whom the Lord has appointed for Isaac. D is for decree. This is God's plan. This is God's plan coming together before our eyes. But I don't want us to place all our focus on Rebecca because, like I say, this is the hand of God. God is the one who has been preparing Rebecca from before the foundations of the earth. These things don't just happen, they they fall out according to the plan and will of God. And so Rebecca is chosen by God to be the woman who will bear the church in her womb. She will carry the line of the seed, just as we saw with Sarah last week. Now we see it in Rebecca, the one through whom the Christian faith is continued from one generation to the next. The baton is passed from Sarah to Rebecca, and through his perfect, although seemingly unlikely plans, God continues his church on earth. Well, we can't help but feel to see that there's a little bit of opposition to that. There is difficulty in this story. The opposition comes from Rebecca's family. She's willing to go, 
but her mother and brothers, mainly Laban, have some caveats. So let's think about Laban. Of all those in the story, Laban is the one who gives us a little concern, isn't he? There's no doubt, and we didn't read this verse, but if you look at verse 50, you'll see uh, Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing comes from the Lord, we cannot speak to you, either good or bad. So he knows he can't stand in the way of God's plans. And that's just as well, because that would not be a good idea. There would only be one winner if Laban tried to stand in the way of God's plans. But Laban still acts according to his human nature. He seeks his own wealth, his own prosperity. If you look down at verse 30, you'll see something and you know, blink and you'd miss it. But it says, so it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists. And when he heard his sister Rebekah saying, the man thus spoke to me, then Laban went to the man. He's not going to stand in the way of God's plans, but that's not what drives him. Laban is not seeking God's plans. He's not seeking God's will. What drives Laban is the gold nose ring. It's the money. It's the wealth that he might be able to get. He is a shrewd operator. He realizes he he could make a fair bit of money by getting his sister to marry Isaac. And this teaches us an important lesson, I think, about God's providence. Because God even uses the selfish actions of sinful people to bring about his plans and purposes. That might be an important thing for us to hear today. We seek to emulate the servant and Rebecca in their faithfulness. And as we seek to trust and obey the Lord, it's important to know that we will still come under attack in the church. But even though we come under attack, God is still at work. Being under attack does not mean that God has left us. I think one of the stories in the Bible where this is really clearly demonstrated is the story of Joseph. Boys and girls, you know the story of Joseph. And despite doing everything right, Joseph kept ending up in trouble. He told the truth. He he was honest about his dreams and he was beaten and sold into slavery. Sam reminded of this of us a couple of weeks ago. He was honest with Potiphar and his wife and he was accused in the wrong and sent to prison. And it feels like that for us at times, doesn't it? There are times in life when we think we're doing the right thing. We, We certainly feel like we're doing the right thing and then we seem to end up on the wrong side the wrong side of people. We find ourselves in bad situations. In those times, it's good to know that what people mean for evil, God uses for good. What people mean for evil, God uses for good. We have to cling to God in those times. Keep trusting. Continue obeying even when it feels like things are not working out for us. Sometimes life is like Abraham's servant and and all the lights are green. And then other times we face red lights. And even sometimes at the hands of other people. Very sadly. But in those times we have to continue to persevere and to trust and obey. 
It's what we spoke of, isn't it, with the boys and girls. God is always working. He's always working his plans together for good according to his decree. Nothing will fall outside of his will for good. It doesn't always feel like good to us at the time. But God is always for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Not even Laban could stand in the way of God's decrees. Well, finally then we come to to speak about Isaac. And it's with Isaac that the story ends. Isaac marries Rebecca. He loves her. He's comforted by her. In many ways, and the text makes this very clear, she replaces his mother. So the baton is passed from Sarah to Rebecca as the mother of the church. Um, as that happens, so the baton is handed from Abraham to Isaac. And God, in his perfect plans and purposes, has ensured the future of the church for at least another generation. And so even though Isaac isn't central to this story at all, at the end of the story, Isaac becomes the focus. Did you notice that the servant did not come back to Abraham at the end of the story? He returned to Isaac. Because Isaac is now our focus. It's through Isaac that God will continue to carry his blessing to the world in the church. Through this marriage, God makes sure his plans and purposes are continued. They're carried out through the faithful obedience of an unnamed servant. The humble hospitality and willingness of Rebecca. They're carried out despite the evil scheming of Laban. And they're carried out through the torch being passed from one generation to the next in Isaac. Through this marriage, God carries out his plans for the continuation of the church. What does it mean for us? Well, it's, there's lots of lessons in this story, isn't there? But the main one is this. That it's through the wonderful marriage of Christ to his bride, which fully secures the future of the church for all eternity. Jesus came from heaven and he sought the church to be his precious bride. So we ought to be confident and secure in the future of the church. Not just for the next generation, but for all eternity. You see, we, we are the bride of Christ. We are Rebecca. God will not let his bride fail from one generation to the next. Our task is not to worry about the continuation of the church. Our task is not to build the church from one day to the next, let alone one generation to the next. We can't do that. That's too much of a burden for us to bear. Jesus said he would build his church. Our task is simple. Trust and obey. In, in humble service, Jesus is the one who has promised to watch over and preserve his bride. He is building his church. And not even the gates of Hades will be able to stand against it. Let me pray for us.